Father, we ask for eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that receive your love and word this morning. I pray that everything I made up would just fall on the ground, fall on deaf ears, but I ask that everything that you have to say to us this morning uh, would be received with gladness and joy. We ask for your presence, and we love you, and we ask for the grace to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just as I alluded to a moment ago, we are in a tension of patterns, a tension of patterns. And it's days like today where we really start to feel it. Uh, Christmas just ended. The whole season of Advent just ended, 2022 ended, and now a whole new calendar year has begun. Some of you have taken your Christmas lights down, some of you have taken your Christmas trees down, and word on the street is, some of you have even stopped listening to Christmas music, and uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, a new year just serves as a good transition from uh, holiday cheer to dreaming about new things. And so, if you're over at the Goggins house, however, you will see a well-lit Christmas tree, uh, because we are not out of Christmas. Christmas just began a few days ago. Uh, It began on December 25th, and it goes for another four days. Um, You've heard of the 12 days of Christmas. That starts on December 25th, and uh, today is... Eight Maids of Milking Day, if you celebrate. So uh, the 12 days of Christmas are, are, uh, they're feast days, and they always end on the 6th of January. And January 6th is a very important day, not because of the reason that just popped into your head, but because uh, January 6th is the day of epiphany, epiphany. What does epiphany mean? It comes from the Greek word uh, epiphaneia which just literally translates as manifestation. Epiphany is manifestation. Uh, It's become, uh, manifestation has become like a popular word on social media. If you're a little younger and you use TikTok, um, people will say things like, I'm manifesting this for this year, or I manifest this or that, just as a way of saying like, I'm really hoping for good things. It's a pretty popular word uh, right now. Uh, But that's not what epiphany is all about actually. Uh, For those of us who follow and celebrate Jesus as God, Epiphany is a day to celebrate in theology what we call theophany. Uh, Theophany, a physical manifestation of deity. That is what we are celebrating this week. Uh, The message of Christmas is that Jesus shows up. And the physical appearing of God happens, but the The message of epiphany is that we have loved his appearing. We love his appearing. Uh, The physical manifestation of God in the world. So this is where we're probably going to feel a little bit of that tension of patterns. Uh, The calendar year is over. And so we've been trained to expect Christmas to be over, when in reality, it's only halfway over. So I'm going to help us push back on some of those patterns that demand all of our attention that aren't the patterns of Jesus. We're going to try to get back into the pattern of Jesus. Uh, 
uh, a pattern that centers on Jesus and nothing else. <clears throat> and I think we can all get behind that. Where I came from about six months ago, I came from a small country church, um, and every first of January sermon I had to give, I always had to preface a little bit because we weren't calendar people. We didn't follow the calendar. I always had to explain why we're still talking about the Magi on the first of January. And it's because we want to submit ourselves to the pattern of Jesus and not the other patterns that demand our time and attention. We want to love the appearing of the Lord, not brush it off because we're burnt out on gingerbread and eggnog and Mariah Carey. The appearing of the Lord is something to be loved. It's something to allow our souls the time to take in and adore. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to love the appearing of the Lord, the epiphany of Jesus. So we'll be in Matthew 2, 1 through 12 today. There's Bibles in front of you or under you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can take that one home. If you want to learn how to use a Bible, you can email me and we'll set up a time together. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. For context, uh, Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. God has shown up in that city that wasn't well positioned. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now has become a human like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Incarnation is now a reality. And the gospel that culminates in peace has its beginning in the baby Jesus, and it's a reality now. And we pick up today with the story of these three astronomers. Um, Some of your Bibles call them kings. Some may call them wise men. Some call them magi. Uh, The Greek word that's used for them is magos. Magos. Um, It's more of a general word than it is a specific description of a person. Um, But... uh, a magos is someone who is wise, okay? They, they aren't Jews. They have a, a certain exoticness about them. They're foreigners from very far distant lands. Uh, they could be religiously significant people uh, like priests or maybe like a kind of elder would be maybe a better understanding of them. Um, <clears throat> more than likely, a magos has some sort of background in magic, some sort of background in magic, like a sorcerer or a wizard or a magician, okay? They're exotic, strange, wise people. Uh, More than likely, they also have a background in astrology, but they're sages. What does that mean? They're people of wisdom. They're people of wisdom. They spend their time reading widely and knowing a lot about spiritual matters, Uh, So when you think of a Magos, you could think uh, Yoda or Dumbledore or Spock. Those are all Magos. They're wise people with a background in magic of some sort. And so in our text today, Matthew tells us about these three wise foreign magicians. We don't know their names. Could be Yoda, Dumbledore, or Spock for all we know. But we do know that their wisdom is compelling them to follow this star that they see in the sky. But because they are wise, they aren't just following out of curiosity. Uh, They somehow know that this star is leading them to a king, uh, someone to worship. And so they pack gifts with them and they set out on a journey to wherever this star leads them. And that's where we pick up today. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. 
In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where's the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born, and they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. So it's been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me, so that I may go and pay him homage. And then what they, when they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. So that's a story that we're probably all somewhat familiar with. You probably even heard this text over the last couple of weeks. Uh, This group of three magos are studying the stars, and probably not for fun. They don't study the stars for fun. It's it's not like they're trying to see if Jupiter and Mars hang out with a half moon to make a smiley face in the sky, which has happened recently. But uh, these are sophisticated and learned men. Uh, And they are likely using the stars and their positioning in the sky to help determine uh, the future or to help uh, their local priests determine if Astraeus or Artemis or Baal Shaim is having a good mood or a bad mood on a particular day. These wise men were skilled astrologers, uh, but they were also very respected in their respective religions whichever religion that was. Maybe all three worshiped the same God, we don't know. But we do know that they did worship some other God. They don't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They worship someone else entirely. They're studying the the stars to see what their God is trying to say. But then they notice something strange. It's a star that kind of a star that kind of speaks. And the star is not saying anything, it's not talking, but uh, it's saying something special. The the star seems to be communicating to them uh, something that only a wise decipher of mysteries can can decipher. Someone who is attuned to learning uh, and listening to wisdom and is familiar with mysteries Uh, Not every stargazer with a telescope would be able to know, but a contemplative person could know. That's the kind of people that 
these wise men are, discerners of mystery. And what the star has to tell them is a bit of a surprise. In their wisdom, these magos are able to determine that this new abnormal star is trying to tell them that there is a new king on the block. And not just any king, but a very special king. You see, these wise men wouldn't have packed up special gifts and made a very long journey for any other king that rises up in any other place. Kings rise up and kings fall. It's not new, and you don't make a journey for every single one of them. These guys actually have their own king. Based on their profession and ability to discern wisdom, they probably even work for their own king or kings. They have a king. Their king could have been Hereos of the Kushan Empire in India. Their king could have been Arsaked of the Parnathian uh, Empire in modern-day Iran, or it could have been Emperor Ping of the Han Dynasty. All of these people reigned at the time of Jesus in the East. All of these people were reigning. These wise men already had a king and probably a great one. But this star was telling them that there's a very special king that has arrived. So how do we know that this star was telling them uh, something like that? Well, we know the star told them that the king was born because they showed up asking, hey, where's this king of the Jews that everybody's talking about? Really, only they were talking about it. But how do we know that this king was special enough for a long journey away from their own king? Well, we know it by the gifts that they brought. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's how we know this is a special king, one worth traveling for. Gold, it's, uh, it's an obvious gift to bring to a king. You know, it, it actually makes a lot of the other gifts, the other two gifts seem a little underwhelming. You know, uh, the, the other two wise men are bringing essentially a bunch of plants. And then this first wise man brings, you know, a lump of cash. So that, that's really kind of what's going on. Um, gold is a really big time gift. Gold is a gift fit for royalty. And what do you give a king that has everything? You add to his power by increasing his bank account. Gold is what you give to a king. So a gift of gold is very fitting for the occasion because the star communicated that the newborn is indeed a king and their gift reflects their wisdom. Frankincense. What is frankincense? It's a resin. It's, it's hardened sap, okay? And uh, it's, it's like a sap that hardens from a certain tree called a boswellia tree. It's a pretty unassuming tree, not particularly pretty, not particularly tall, uh, but it grows all around in the, the Near East. <clears throat> the sap has a beautiful smell to it beautiful smell. When it hardens, you can burn, you can burn it and fill up the room with this beautiful smell. And that beautiful smell is what we call frankincense. Just about every religion in the Near East used this resin in their temples. Every religion did. Every god in the region was worshiped by burning this specific sap that caused this beautiful smell, frankincense. Because frankincense is a gift fit for a God. It's a gift fit for a God. Frankincense is a gift of worship. In their wisdom, these three magos knew that this was no ordinary king that they were coming to visit. 
they were coming to visit a God. And their gift reflects their wisdom. Myrrh. Myrrh is a strange gift. Myrrh is weird. It's also a type of resin, but this one comes from a a really uh, thorny uh, bush in, in the Middle East. It's It's actually quite valuable, myrrh is. It may actually be worth its weight in gold because it's extremely rare. Uh, But it was uh, used in very morbid ways, okay? The ancient Romans used myrrh as a way of masking the smell of burning bodies as uh, as they cremated them. That was their practice, masking the smell of the dead. The Jews more likely used it as a way to burn myrrh around a body that you're preparing for burial as a way to make sure that flies and insects don't do what they naturally do. It's a way of preserving. It's a way of, uh, it's a way of preserving or embalming a body for burial. Okay, so it's a strange gift to give to a baby. It's a weird gift to give to a baby. Someone who's just starting life, not ending life. It's like bringing formaldehyde to a baby shower. It really is. It's just a weird thing to do. You have to be really sure about what you're doing if you're going to bring this kind of gift to a baby, much less a baby king. It's a risky gift because you don't really know how it's going to be received. But we have to remember that wisdom is more than being aware of social expectations, okay? Wisdom and knowledge are actually two different things. Knowledge is like knowing a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing it doesn't go in a fruit salad, right? That's kind of the difference. These magos are wise and they listen to the mysteries that the star is speaking to them. And what, what the star is telling them is that this king was a god but that God would also die like a human. Die like a human. It's an abnormal gift, but it's a gift given in wisdom. The gift says more about the person receiving it than the person giving it. The, mag, the magos, the magi were really good listeners. Uh, and so uh, it, it does say something about them in that way, but the myrrh says more about the person receiving this gift. It says everything about Jesus. And it says that Jesus will be, will need to be prepared for a burial. That's what it says. Since they're giving the gift to a baby, it probably means something like it's going to be an early burial. Myrrh is a gift that you give to a family of someone who is going to die. These wise men know something about this God King that not everybody else knows yet. Not everybody else knows it yet. And their gift reflects their wisdom. Now, the gifts of the Magos are interesting in themselves. They're interesting. And they actually say a lot about who Jesus is. He's the the human God King. He is the physical presence of God on earth, epiphany right? We all know that. But I think the more interesting question that this story answers for us is who is Jesus the king of? Who is Jesus the king of? 
And the answer to that question is in the Magos themselves. They aren't Jews. They don't worship the right God. In fact, it's very possible that they are all priests of a very different Eastern God. It's even possible that they worship or are priests to some pretty harsh and warlike gods, someone completely the opposite of Jesus. Gods that are the opposite. As we said earlier, they have, they have other kings. They have pledged their allegiances to someone else and have given their lives and professions to their ideologies and their patterns of life. In many ways, the Magi were the wrong people doing the right thing in a town full of the right people doing the wrong thing. Bethlehem was full of God's people. In fact, uh, people who were descendants of King David. Descendants of David. What a Hebrew pedigree to have. Being a descendant of the anointed king of Israel, uh, who who, uh, is a man after God's own heart, as it's described. All the right people who couldn't make any room for a pregnant woman at night. A woman pregnant with the true anointed king of Israel who reveals the heart of God. All the right people doing the wrong thing, not even a couch to surf on. The Magi are the wrong kind of people, but they're doing the absolute right thing. They treated Jesus the way Jesus ought to be treated, with a red carpet rolled out, with gifts and praises. Um, And not just gifts, but gifts that required great sacrifices on their part. Jesus is the king of the unexpected. He is the king of people who don't necessarily fit the bill and don't look the part and don't have the right pedigree, not even the right religion. He isn't just the king of the right kind of people. Jesus is the king of all people. The Magi are Gentiles. They're non-Jews. The Magi are our representatives. You and I are not Jews. That makes us Gentiles. They are our representatives. They represent the rest of the world. If Jesus is the king of these Gentile pagans, then Jesus is a king for people like you and me. A king for Israel and a king for the rest of the world. A king for people who worship the right way and a king for those who don't. A king for those uh, who fit in and a king for those who don't. A king for those who have their allegiances to God and a king for those who don't. Jesus is king of everyone. First Timothy and Revelation say it this way. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is everyone's king. Jesus is your king. The magi are your example to follow. Maybe you feel like an outsider. Jesus is your king. Maybe you come from a different faith. Jesus is your king. Maybe you have some allegiances to certain people or politicians or ideologies. Jesus is your king. Maybe you're just in searching mode. You don't really quite know what's true. You're just trying to follow what's leading you into the truth. Jesus is your king. You've got some gifts that you want to give to God. 
but they feel risky, and you don't know how well they're going to be received by others. Jesus is your king. When the physical manifestation of God appeared, when the epiphany of Jesus happened, something else incredible happened. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob got a new title. It's a title he always planned on having, uh, but was finally bestowed upon him at the birth of Jesus. The God of the Gentiles. The God of everyone. The God for you and the God for me. The epiphany of Jesus is more than just attention in our modern calendar and patterns of life. The epiphany of Jesus is our invitation, our star, if you will, to come and worship our King, the King for everyone. Let's pray and then we'll have communion. Jesus, we submit ourselves to your kingship. We say that we are citizens of heaven. We, gosh, we thank you so much that you decided to be everybody's king. We thank you so much that you included people like us to be in your kingdom. We thank you so much for that. We submit to you. We humbly repent for the things we've done and for the things we've left undone. We love you with our hearts and sometimes we haven't. We ask for your forgiveness, but Lord, we also ask that you would be our king and we would be shaped into your image every single day. We love you and we ask for the grace to love you more. In the name of Jesus, the King of Kings, amen.